Hello, and welcome to the What's Next podcast. My name is Liz Smith, owner of Liz Smith Law, and on this show, I share conversations to investigate building and leaving your legacy, estate planning for young families, supporting aging loved ones and parents, and other topics around aging, death, and other life transitions that will affect each of us. This is your source for hard-to-find resources in Southeast Alaska and beyond. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get each and every episode of our show. Hello, and welcome to What's Next, a podcast about life's transitions, leaving your legacy, estate planning, and much, much more. My name is Liz Smith, and with me as my guest today is Amy Skillbread, Executive Director of the Juno Community Foundation. And Amy, I wanted to have you here today uh, to discuss how people can give to organizations like the Juno Community Foundation and through the Juno Community Foundation. But before I dive in, I wanted to start with a bit of background and just to possibly uh, condense some of the long-term history before I ask what you wanna share about the history. I thought I would start by reading the brief history from your website, just to set context. So that the, the Juno Community Foundation was established to enrich and sustain Juno and other Southeast Alaska communities into perpetuity. Three longtime Juno residents came together with a common goal. They wanted to create an organization that would provide long-term charitable support with a place where people could give now or leave a bequest and be certain that their gift would be used the way they intended. From the start, our mission was to promote philanthropy and effectively respond to the needs of our community to create a healthy, safe, and culturally rich environment. And then 2000 to 2009, the start, uh, the three founders, Eric Kiefner, Ken Longhorn, and Reed Stoop signed the original incorporation documents in December 2000. We gained momentum in 2005 when tax-exempt status was obtained as a 501c3 organization, and the board expanded to include additional community members. By the end of that year, the foundation with 10 directors was managing nearly 500,000 in assets. Four years later, with 12 members on the board and Ken Leghorn as a part-time executive director managing daily operations, the assets grew to almost 1 million. The focus during these years was to build donor-advised and agency endowment funds for grants to Juno and other Southeast Alaska communities. So Amy, I think you joined in 2011, if I have that right. Um, but is there anything you want to add to some of that, um, the history of the organization? Well, I guess uh, just a, a little bit that happened after that 2010 and, and happened in 2014 was we received a, um, a very large donation, $48 million. And um, that has really supported the organization and the work we do throughout the community and throughout Northern Southeast Alaska. And so now we're about a $77 million organization. But those figures, those monetary figures, um, well, it shows the growth of the organization. And um, I want to stress really good investing that is done by our investment committee and our finance committee. I think that um, Overall, the most important part about the Community Foundation is working with people on trying to um, make sure that they can do what they would like to do in our community, uh, both while they're alive and in bequests or in planned gifts. 
Great. And the even as an estate planning attorney, just that kind of the numbers are hard to imagine. Um, but you talked about uh, a bit about the goal. Is there anything, do you have an elevator pitch or something that when you're talking to people about what you do now? I think it's more the story um, that we tell for the foundation is you know, people come to us because they're interested in doing something for the community, but they're not sure how to do it and not sure, you know, whether they should do it now or whether they should do it in a will or bequest or through a directed donation. And um, we really act as the guide. Um, we listen to what they'd like to do and work with them to figure out what would be the best vehicle for doing that. And, um, whether it's a donor advised fund or giving to one of the current funds of the foundation and really making sure we know what they're passionate about and we connect them to that. That sounds very similar to what, to what I do in the different, different <laughs> but similar context, helping exactly. individuals <laughs> decide on and leave, leave a legacy and decide how, uh, how much of your, Time. Now you're executive director and I think you're full-time employed by the foundation, correct? correct. And then are there two other full-time employees? Yeah, there are two other full-time employees for the foundation. Um, and we do a lot of, you know, a lot of the work overlaps and uh, we do grants and scholarships. We work on community impact funds. Um, have a lot of projects that we've done in the community, including the Diamond Park Fieldhouse, the uh, uh, Hilda Dam Cabin, working on restoring Treadwell Ditch uh, Trail, the oh, Seward Statue, the Empty Chair. So there's a lot of projects and then a lot of programs, helping a lot of social service programs in particular, um, just about you know most of the social service nonprofit organizations in the community we've worked with at one time or another. And um, I would say when you when you talk about us doing very similar things, I think that's very true. And community foundations really work with uh, attorneys and financial advisors. And um, a lot of times we're coming to you all to let you know about what the community foundation does so that um, you know that working with community foundations is sort of good for business. It's good for developing that relationship with um, clients and people who talk with you to figure out how they can do something important um, that they'd like to do and leave as a gift to the community. Oh, and one other thing, when we were talking a bit about the dollars and uh, philanthropy is a very big word. And we like to inspire giving as well as develop philanthropy. And when I think about bequests, there can be some, you know, what get, hits, what hits the news are these extremely large amounts of money that people leave. But the average bequest in the United States is about $35,000. And that's average across, you know, all 50 states. So. You don't have to be a millionaire to leave something to help your community, leave a legacy. Yeah. There's a lot that I want to pick up on that you talked about, Amy, including a lot more details about some of the different ways to give. I wanted to go back, though. You mentioned 
we talked about just the three staff, and then you mentioned an investment advising team. And how are they volunteer, and and what is how are those investment decisions made? Yeah, we um, have as an organization have decided to invest our long-term funds with Vanguard. And it's a very simple investment uh, policy. And that's that we have uh, domestic equities, foreign equities and domestic treasuries. And that's it. Um, And we use mutual funds on all of those. And um, we have an investment team that I think is pretty spectacular. Um, They are, group of folks, uh, including three of our board members, but all of the outside volunteers are all experts in institutional investing. And that's a little bit different than how you and I would be investing for our retirement. Um, and it's looking at long, long term. Um, so our investment horizon is always 30 years, but it could be forever. But they decided, you know, we need to pick some amount of time that's reasonable and we can see what's happening. So it's 30 years. And they are folks who come with backgrounds like working for the um, permanent fund, um, working with the state of Alaska and institutional investing, working at um, oh, one person's with the Idaho fund or, or other folks who work on large funds that are institutional. Thanks. And in... I guess in terms of your time, what? how often are you working with people? You mentioned being the guide. And how often are people coming to you and saying, maybe I want to set up a foundation or, or leave something and they're really being active versus you reaching out and what might that look like? Yeah, well, it's... Um... It's been growing. So until people knew more about the foundation, so the last year and a half or so, I think is when it's really sort of taken off. I think that COVID and people thinking about mortality has also been something that has prompted people maybe to make a will or think about what their um, what directed beneficiaries they want on you know, different uh accounts that they have, financial accounts. And um, I'd say, you know, it's been pretty consistent with like two or three, three to four a month um, in the last couple of, last several months and sort of a trickle of one to two a month uh, for six months leading up to that. Um, But it certainly is growing. And I think people are you know, thinking about what to, what they'd like to do and how they want to make sure that what they'd like to do gets done. <laughs> so, yeah, and That's one of the beautiful things about the Community Foundation is with the amount of funds that we have, we are definitely here for the forever kind of thing. And um, so if somebody wants to support uh, the arts, maybe they have a particular... Um, organization that they'd like to support or a particular form of art. And one of the beauties of the Community Foundation and one of the main reasons that the three founders set it up was that um, they were looking around themselves for how do I leave funds to the community and know that they're going to be used how I'd like them to be used. 
And we know that nonprofits can come and go here as anywhere, um, depending on funding and leadership and boards and everything else. And so having a community foundation that can direct planned gifts that are for say parks or trails to what's needed at the time, um, people are finding that really appealing. Um, you can't figure out everything for the future and all of us hope that we're living for quite some time more. So, um, but you have to write something now and figure out something now. And so that's where a community foundation is definitely helpful. I think that's the hard part, Amy, is, is each of us motivating to get that written now because we always think it can wait. Um, and how interesting that this pandemic crisis, people losing jobs, un uncertainty for the future, how it has has forced us to look and think about things in a different way and I guess take action yeah. I think is is fascinating so to to move into I want to get into more specifics about how people can give and I thought one way to do that and tell me if you want to go about it a different way but might be to talk about a couple of examples so on your website uh, there is I think it's open for grants right now people can apply and it was the Bob and Darlene Stute fund and there was a story about someone from Juno I think he received a grant of $250 a long time ago um, and that helped him get started and eventually go to college which I think he was not thinking he he, he would and it sounds like his family he and his wife um, or Bob and Darlene left I assume considerable amount of money that's then reinvested. And now I think there's two scholarships a year that people can apply to for $2,500 each, uh, I think to get started. Um, so I was wondering if okay. you maybe could use that as an example, how much if someone was interested in that. So I think this is really a neat story where someone received something that changed his life and wanted to pass that type of gift on to others. Um, and so how would one start that? And then how do you manage that? Yeah, well, a couple of things. Um, first off, it's really listening carefully to what people would like to do. Um, that one, Bob was pretty clear. He wanted to set up a scholarship fund. And um, sometimes people are clear and sometimes they're just they're trying to figure it out. You know, I'd like to support this organization or um, I'd like to, you know, support something broad like women and children. How do I do that? And um, so once we, when we listen to what they'd like to do, then it's um, figuring out what's the best vehicle to do it with. So for Bob Stude, it was actually pretty simple. He wanted to do a scholarship fund. And um, then it was talking with him about, uh, you know, how much we have a minimum requirement for, for new funds. And, um, and then we have a, what? what is the minimum? Oh, we have a minimum requirement of 25,000. Okay. And um, we 
sometimes can look at that as being built in a couple of years. So if people are, you know, if, if 25,000 is hard to hit, we, we might build it. Um, but then we do urge people to try and build it to 100,000. And the reason for that is that uh, we do a 5% distribution of a 20 quarter rolling average. So when you get to 100,000, you're giving out $5,000 a year. And that can make a sustained difference. And some people wanna do something like that and create their own fund. And others, like just recently, I've been working with some other people in the community who once we got to talking about it and you know, you can sort of look through the list of funds that we have, um, agency funds and directed funds and donor advised funds that's in our, it's on our website and it's also in our annual report, but that can be pretty confusing. And so it's often better to just hear what people want to do themselves and then, uh, and then figure out the vehicle that best does that. So this other couple who I was talking with um, just a couple of weeks ago, they were interested. They have a lot of interest in everything from the arts to they like hiking and they like doing things and they really want to help uh, kids in the community. And so looking at what they, you know, what's the best fit for them, they decided that giving funds to our four community impact funds, um, arts and culture, youth and education, parks, trails and recreation, and health and social services was really the way to go because then those funds are discretionary so that the foundation over time as things change in Juneau can put those grants where they're most needed. So every year those funds give out money and those grants go to where they're most needed. And so that's, that worked with them best. And I think for each person, it can be a little bit different what they'd like to do. This is a great example. And can you talk about, let's use, I think one was the arts and culture fund mm-hmm. and how, how that works, how you decide what type, what the process right. is to grant money. Well, currently we have an endowment um, that we're giving funds out of for that, that we're building for that. And I stress we're just, we're building all these. Our uh, community impact funds started about four years ago with nothing, zero amount in each one of them. And so we're building the endowments for all of them. And at the same time, we want to do things now and just not, not wait for just for the future. And so we are giving out grants now. So arts and culture, we have um, board leaders on each of these funds and community champions. And they decided that what was where they'd really like to look and where they'd really like to provide funds to our individual artist awards to promote artists in the work that they do. Um, and uh, not yet, they're not yet looking at um, organizations, but artists. And so we've already had two rounds of individual artist awards that have come out and another one um, it's open right now for applications for awards that'll be made in October. And, um, and I think it's just depends on the growth of the arts vibrancy endowment. And as that endowment grows, we can continue to provide a certain amount for 
individual artist awards, and then there may be funds to support uh, different organizations in town. You know, there's there's a lot of ways that that they can go after that to look at what the need is, where the gaps are, where it's most helpful. And so someone that really likes the idea of that type of fun, supporting artists, what you're doing, can they give both now or to name the fund itself as part of in a will or something? Absolutely, yeah. And is there a minimum for that type of donation? No, when you're giving a gift to the foundation, there's no minimum. It's if you want to establish a new fund that, that you know, there's, we try to make sure that we don't end up with, you know, lots of funds with a little money in each of them, because that becomes very um, difficult to manage and expensive. And so we try and work with organizations and with individuals to grow like if they want to start a memorial fund for somebody to begin it with 25 and then you know commit themselves to growing it to reach a hundred thousand um so that they can be giving funds out and feeling like it's making a difference uh, now while they're alive so, yeah. yeah yeah that might be a good segue one of the other examples I wanted to ask about is a lot of people in Juneau are probably familiar with the shelter at Twin Lakes uh, established after John Coet. I'm not sure I'm saying his name right. Uh, I remember that when he died in a running accident out of town and it was a memorial fund to build the shelter and I was wondering if you could comment on that type of gift there's the the long-term scholarship type fund versus right. versus building something. Does that type of fund still exist for maintenance or how? Yeah, so we have a, a couple of shorter term things. One is we have community project funds and that is for um, oh, things in town like the Hilda Dam cabin, like the uh, empty chair, Memorial, um, the Diamond Park field house where funds are raised and it's a group, usually a group of people who want to get something done. Um, right now, one of the big ones is the Teal Street Center for social services, um, combining a whole bunch of nonprofit social services under one roof. So they get some economies of scale, can share um, conference rooms and things like that. And so we do these for um, individuals or groups of individuals who want to get a specific thing done and for organizations that just want somebody else to help by working, doing the bookkeeping and everything on it, basically, and um, then freeing them up, um, uh, freeing up staff time. So the Coet Cabin um, is a memorial, came out of a memorial fund. And memorials are very easy to establish with the foundation. Um, when someone has died, it's simply an email or a call to the foundation saying, I'd like to establish a, a memorial. And then we will put up on the Community Foundation website, um, you know, a, a, a donate button that is specifically for that memorial. And we'll also put up a web page that um, is a, often it begins with just being the obituary and a picture of the person so that people 
can land on a page and read about them. And if the family knows what they'd like those funds to be used for, we'll say that on that page. Um, and so we established that as a field of interest fund and all of these memorials are in one fund, but they are uh, tracked separately. So we know how much is in each. And um, the Quet Memorial was one of the earlier ones that we had, and it was a lot of money was raised um, right from his memorial, John's memorial. And then when it was clear what the family wanted to do, his wife and kids wanted to do, um, they raised other funds in order to build the cabin at Twin Lakes. And um, it's a beautiful cabin too. It's a, a great spot. So um, there, you know, there's not there's not intended to be a long-term fund for management or of those things. But if um, sometimes when when upkeep or something is needed for different projects, people will say, "Hey, can we raise some money through the foundation?" But often it's the projects are located in a place that has taken ownership of it and um, does the upkeep. And in this case, that would be uh, CBJ. So, okay. Yeah. Great. And uh, sh shifting gears a bit, but I yeah. imagine you talk to lots and lots of donors. Is there a situation or a story you can think of about why someone decided to give? to anything specific or more general that surprised wow. you? Um, you know, everyone has their own donor story, uh, whether it's you began with the, you know, if you're my generation with the little orange UNICEF boxes on Halloween, collecting pennies on Halloween, or your parents always gave at church and you learned to give, um, you know, or, Somebody helped you out, and then you've, you know, gone on and decided, wow, that was made a difference in your life, and you help out others. Or people come to it just, you know, they realize that there are those in need and they want to assist, or there's things that they'd love to do, like be able to go to a cabin at Eagle Crest and spend the night. And so they, you know, that, that becomes something that they're passionate about and they start giving. And so I think, um, you know, nothing, nothing has struck me as, as, as incredible, but all these stories are really um, not just heartwarming, but it's really, it's really wonderful to hear the different stories that people have when they think about why, why they give um, and, and try and think back to when did I start to give? Um, you know, maybe your family always gave, your parents worked in nonprofits, you work in nonprofits, so you just have always given. But maybe you haven't. Um, and then, you know, some newspaper article or whatever hits you and you think, wow, I could do something here. And I think people like to help out. Uh, people are basically kind and generous and they want to make our community and make the world a better place. When I was preparing for this interview, I was thinking about how in so many ways your job must be, I mean, I'll use dream job for lack of a better word, but just because <laughs> I imagine that it's a lot of positive energy a lot of the time, which actually, ironically, I feel, I think that's why I love my job, because I see the positive benefits of 
uh, thinking about planning and what you can leave. Yeah. And, and, you know, financial planners also do this with folks and um, work with them on what you can leave and why they should come to you, Liz, and, you know, figure it out and put it down in a will because people die without wills. And one of the, you know, you think of Prince, the, um, the artist, and the, he died without a will and left millions and millions of dollars. And then what happens is there's just huge lawsuits and everything over who gets what. And um, so, and he was very philanthropic himself, but that sort of can get lost in it. And so I think it's, um, yeah, you have an important piece in making this happen for people, you know, to be sure. <laughs> Some people are surprised when I mention that if you have any interest in giving to an organization, a charitable organization, a church, that you cannot do it without having a will or, or trust something in place that, that says that's what you want. Of course, your family might give some away, but that gets into other consequences. Yeah. It's not as efficient, so we'll leave it there. But It's not. Yeah, it's best to have it. Um, in your will, and sometimes we assist folks who want to leave, you know, they say a certain percentage in your will seems to be the best way to do it because you don't really know what you're going to have um, when you die and after expenses are paid and things like that. And so um, leaving a percentage is the best way to do it. And um, unless you know for certain, like you say, I know how much I want to give here or there. Um, but then it's just important to write it down. Yeah. And we sometimes can help when people give to the foundation because we have so many endowments for different nonprofits in Juno and in for other communities that um, helping people, you know, we help people to say when they've finished a will and they say X amount to the Juno Community Foundation, and then they'll contact me and say, but we'd like know, 50% to go to this and 25 to that, 15 here and 10 over there um, to all these different funds because they um, have particular interests. And that's where we can help because those endowments uh, for the different nonprofits in the community really support them now and into the future. And if they cease to exist for some reason, then we are able to move those endowments to something that um, serves the same purpose. And so over time, that that helps people be comfortable knowing that the funds will do what they want them to do, even if the organization that they want to assist no longer exists. Yeah, I think that's so valuable. And what, well, first of all, can someone leave money just to the Juno Community Foundation? And if so, as the general, and if so, how does that what, what do you do with that money? So if someone leaves um, a planned gift to the community foundation or a designated designates the Juno Community Foundation as a beneficiary, um, and there's no other direction on it, then our board would look at that and decide where those funds go. Uh, right now, where they would go is to, um, they'd be, it would be split evenly among our four community um, impact funds in those four areas, arts and culture, youth and education, parks, trails, and, and <laughs> parks, trails, and recreation, 
and health and social services. And then the fifth one would be the sustainability fund for the community foundation, just to help us pay our bills to keep doing what we're doing to support the community. Yeah. And I am just starting the podcast, but I anticipate having an audience throughout Southeast Alaska. And I know Juno Community Foundation supports largely Juno organizations, but I'm aware that there's some in other small communities here in Southeast, as well as yeah. I believe in Alaska and, and not getting into, you know, how they operate or different, but in terms of the conversation about how one can give, how one can start approaching you perhaps, um, would that be pretty similar with these other, some of the other organizations? So there's a the Alaska Community Foundation, um, and they're headquartered in Anchorage, and then they have several affiliates in other parts of the state, and they have affiliates down here. Um, yes, I would think it operates in the, in the same way, and um, their local affiliates would be people that people would be talking with. Um, and then we also have worked and work with several other communities, especially in Northern Southeast, where folks want to set up something to assist um, an organization and they just would like to, to do it through us for whatever reason. And, you know, we, I think part of that is we give out grants to um, different communities as well. We've got couple funds that will give grants throughout Southeast. Um, we give out our other grants, mainly Northern Southeast are the other funds that we have that are giving out uh, grants themselves. And um, when I say that, it's because sometimes advised funds have advisors that will recommend grants and um, those can be in different areas. All right. As I think about wrapping up, Amy, I will and intend to have lots of conversations on this podcast with organization leaders about the organization and the work. And I know that I personally am fascinated, though, by what draws people into what they do. And I was wondering if you would share 10 years ago what drew, drew you to the role <laughs> and how you've grown within it. Um, sure, I'd be happy to. I um, worked for nonprofits. I volunteered for nonprofits. I was on the board of different nonprofits um, and have done that since I was since I left college. And so that was over 40 years ago now. Um, and I would say that um, in all of the work and volunteer work that I've done, I've worked with state, um, national and local nonprofits. And so I had a very good feel for nonprofits. And during that process, I also had written a lot of grants. And so um, I sort of understood the world of grants and the world of nonprofits and a community foundation and, and, and working with people, I gotta say, um, because they fuel community or community foundations, but they fuel the nonprofits as well. And often um, 
when applying for a grant, the grants were coming because somebody, if it wasn't a state or federal grant, somebody had left money and established a foundation. Um, and so going, going to all of those sources. And I think a community foundation brings them all together. Um, it brings in the donors, it brings in the nonprofits and um, it has a granting aspect to it. And so it just seemed to meld and um, be a, a great job. And um, I, had, I had thought for several years that it would be good for, to work for a foundation, but didn't know that I would be in on the bottom, you know, on sort of the ground floor of establishing a foundation and then get it to go from not zero, but from, from five to... 77 you know, um, in a very short time. And so it's been really wonderful. And um, just the more I work here, the more the, the generosity of the community is just amazing here. So yeah, it's a great just place. Just amazing, amazing. <laughs> so. And yeah, oh, it's, it's great to be here um, in Juneau and see yeah, that community. Yeah. And thank you for sharing. And I think that's a great place to wrap. Is there anything I'll ask about how to people can talk to you and, and find the organization? But before that, is there anything else you wanted to share? Um, I'd say to folks, check out our website, uh, junocf.org. We um, keep a front page that has a fair amount of information about current things that are happening. Um, if you would like an annual report, be sure to send us an email at amy, A-M-Y, at junocf.org, or give me a call, 907-321-8884. And these days where not everybody's back in the office yet, that's my cell phone number, so feel free. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and we'll share all that. And if someone thinks they want to reach out about a memorial fund or consider an endowment while they're still living, setting that up, is it best to contact you directly? Yeah, that would be great. Yep. Great. Email or phone. Either one is fine. All right. Thank you so much. And all right. Well, thank you for listening to the What's Next podcast. Okay, have a good day. That's all for this week. You can find show notes for this show and prior episodes and future episodes at lizsmithlaw.com. And if you're interested in scheduling a meeting with us to find out what your next step would be for your estate planning, visit us at bit.ly slash mygiftfromlsl. Again, that's bit.ly slash mygiftfromlsl. Or find the link at lizsmithlaw.com. We look forward to seeing you again right here, same place, same time, two weeks from now. Thank you so much.